0: Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you once again. As always, beverage and snacks... Tonight, I recommend a nice Chardonnay, preferably from the Adelaide Hills, and your recommended snack of choice this evening will be a side of beef, spit-roasted and stuffed with raw garlic. skull! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am your host, Boogie Bumper, hopefully with you for the next hour or so. We'll see how we do. We see how we roll. We see how we go because I've got to be brutally honest with you. I've had maybe a few hours sleep in the last few days. It's a typical story. Typical story. You don't need to know about that. It's not important to you. You don't even care. Don't you even worry about that. I'm just mentioning that right at the start. In case this show is really terrible, I can just fall back on that as an excuse. You see, because every half-witted, harebrained, wannabe broadcaster always needs an escape hatch. You always have to blame somebody else or something else or some other kind of circumstance if you're not on top of your game at any given moment. That's how the pros do it. That's how they roll. So I guess, you know, imitation. (coughs) Pardon me is a form of flattery indeed. So that's the excuse I'll be going with if this show is an absolute burning train wreck that rolls off a bridge and crashes into a river at some point. Thank you for joining us. YouTube, uh, Periscope, DLive, Twitch, Facebook Live. Hello, Mr. Zuckerberg. We'll get into him at the start of the show. And there's one else. Oh yeah, the Smashcast, where apparently I've been told, I've been reliably informed by my YouTube moderator, Pinochet, Put your hand up for this, eh? I have a moderator on YouTube. He seems to know his way around the wrench and that's the only qualification he needed. I said, do you want to be a moderator? He's like, I don't know. I think you're tricking me. And I made him a moderator. So there you go. So all kinds of disputes. Any complaints have to go directly to him where I'm sure he will promptly tell you to go fuck yourself and move on with his life. That's why we picked him. That's why we hired him because he's a man of action. He demands action in the YouTube chat. Uh, Where the hell was I? See, I'm losing track already. Ah, brain juice. Mmm. Thank you for the super hearts. Uh, Tonight we're going to get into the slow moving tragedy that is comedy. Not just stand-up comedy, but the art of comedy in all of its various forms and all of its various genres. I want to examine it and I want to dive deep into what comics are dealing with as i said yesterday i'm not a comedian i'm just somebody who appreciates the art and i appreciate it because it's something i know i could never do so there's nothing i like more than seeing a good comedian go to work who's mastered their craft who knows what they're doing um and the the ridiculousness that these people now have to deal with for the pleasure of standing in front of an audience and potentially being humiliated is out of control. There's a there's a documentary coming out made by Adam Carolla who himself isn't really that edgy. He's not... If you think of edgy comics, he's not the first name that comes to mind. But he's putting together a documentary discussing whether or not PC is killing comedy. I don't think... It, I haven't seen the documentary, obviously, but if that's the question, that doesn't go far enough. What what people are dealing with right now is not political correctness. It's something else entirely. It was political correctness 10 years ago. Now it's like a mutated beast spawned from the asshole of Satan that's going around just devouring souls at will. A soul-crushing, inspiration-zapping, momentum-killing, motivation-draining beast spawned from the ass of Satan. Far beyond political correctness, far beyond people saying, well, I don't think you should really say that. It's a twisted pseudo-scientific nightmare <laughs> that people are dealing with, but I don't want to be too hyperbolic, of course. We'll get into that because, you know, the, the road to success for comedians was once, you know, sort of illuminated like, a, like an airport at night, and now it's more akin to... A minefield somewhere in the Balkans where 20 years after a war, little kids are still getting their legs blown off from something that was buried there two decades ago. Like You step on it and you're like, how the fuck did that? I didn't even know that was there. Now I'm missing my leg. Shit. Little traps placed all over the countryside for unwitting comedians to just wander out with their eyes on the prize, stumble across and then be blown into a million pieces, never to be seen again. And other people get handed the map through the minefield and they get to tiptoe around the minefield, sticking their finger up at all the dead comedians that are piling up on the outside of the battlefield. Blood running through into the creek, turning it red. And talentless hacks get to skip over the mines, thumb their nose, no, 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 no. I get to go to the big time, making nobody laugh along the way. At least the pile of corpses is funny in some respects. So we'll get into that. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to imagine me as a pile of corpses... On a Balkans minefield, and you can do so by following me on Twitter at Bookie Bumper. Before we get into the main topic tonight, there is something I wanted to address. Mark Zuckerberg today, ladies and gentlemen, had a little trip to Washington. Very odd for Mark these days. He only seems to be there every second or third day. He must have his own car spot now, he must have his own coffee mug in the congressional coffee room, I suspect. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he just bought the building at some point and say, well, I'm just going to crash downstairs, guys. I hope you don't mind. I'm due in for another hearing at this point. Anybody who's a long time listener to this show knows that I'm not particularly a fan of Mark Zuckerberg. We absolutely tore to shreds the cryptocurrency, pseudo cryptocurrency he's trying to introduce for the mere fact that they've signed a whole bunch of agreements with a whole bunch of corporations and... The whole bunch of corporations seem to be in agreement that uh, unfettered access to a marketplace is some kind of archaic idea that no longer applies in the modern world, and we should be free to arbitrarily restrict people's access to said marketplace. And I couldn't think of a more nightmarish scenario than handing the keys to this malfunctioning Ferrari to a guy like Mark Zuckerberg to orchestrate it all and drive it into a into an old mighty oak. So that's exactly what he was on the Capitol for, to answer questions about today. And it blew my mind because for the last I, – I I, had this strange suspicion, this strange eerie feeling was coming over me whilst watching this uh, shit show today. Because for the last six to eight to nine months, 12 months, fuck it, let's call it three years, conservatives have been complaining, oh, they're banning us, right? The conservatives in Congress – Usually not giving a good showing of themselves. Usually questions along the lines of something like, "Well, now, seem here, Mr. Zuckerberg. Um, are you trying to tell this uh, this hearing that you are not banning conservatives like willy nilly? Uh, that that's correct, Congressman. We we don't do that. I see. Uh huh. So can you tell me when I put my name into the Google machine? Uh, How do I log in to the Facebook Messenger? Are you sharing data from Messenger with like Uber Eats? And these people are laughing at them because they are completely clueless. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no idea about the the intricacies and the nuances of the discussion around things like data retention and privacy online. They just make absolute fools of themselves. So they've been hammering Mark Zuckerberg for the last two years. But then now, all of a sudden, they've turned around. Because Mark's talking about making money. We're going to make some cash, some sweet, cold, hard cash. So they're, they're picturing all of this money coming flying in and all of a sudden the, the tone has completely changed from the Conservatives. Now they're like, well, Mr. Zuckerberg, I just want to congratulate you on on pioneering such a wonderful, wonderful institution of American capitalism. <laughs> it's fucking shameless. And whereas before the Democrats were defending Facebook, saying we don't have to listen to these right-wing fantasies about censorship and bias today they were accusing him of being racist <laughs> Mr Zuckerberg what have you do you are you aware of the percentage of african americans who use facebook and he's looking at the you know the congresswoman asking this this bizarre line of questioning like i don't even know how to respond to you How can you say you're not a racist company, Mr. Zuckerberg, when the percentage of African-Americans on Facebook is so low? And, like, I'm screaming at at the monitor going, because he doesn't force them to sign up. It's up to them. (laughs) They have free will. They have choice. They are sentient beings. Obviously, they don't want to go on Facebook. What's the problem? No, no, this proves that Facebook is a racist company. They need to do more to force black people to use it, apparently. So it's like fucking bizarro land. Now the Democrats hate Facebook and the conservatives love the guy. You can't, you can't figure it out. You can't keep up. But I did notice this little to and fro. So I just want to play two sets of questions from two different people. And I want to show you the comparisons here because now everything is flipped around. Like I said, regularly it's the Republicans who are asking very stupid questions, not making any sense. And the Democrats, whilst not being much better... Uh, definitely show up, their comrades, on the other side of the aisle when discussing tech and issues about privacy and stuff, believe it or not. On this occasion, though, the roles were reversed, just like everything else in this hearing. The first voice you're going to hear is a congressman from Ohio who was a former professional football player. Now, when I say that, you instantaneously think of a stereotype, don't you? Um, Mr. Zuckerberg. I don't blame you. That's what I thought, too. He played for Ohio State. Uh, pardon me, Ohio State, and he was drafted to the Colts, I think, in two thousand and seven or thereabouts two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. So I'm expecting a you know slack jawed meathead kind of character. And he was the only one after this was about two and a half hours in, three hours in. He was the only one that it was the first poignant, um, worthy question that I'd heard so far. No, it's not Jim Jordan. It's another guy, I forget his name, uh, Gonzalez, his name is. It was the first actual relevant question in three hours that I'd heard up until this point. So I thought I have to show you what a former a former professional footballer who was only elected last year, what he can do compared with people who have been there for 30 years.
1: The gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Gonzalez, is recognized for five minutes.
2: Thank you, Madam Chair. And uh, thank you, Mr. Zuckerberg, for being here for today's questions. Uh, as I've said many times in this committee, I believe distributed, permissionless blockchain technologies have the opportunity to fundamentally change the digital world in very positive ways.
0: <laughs>
2: At this point, I'm like,
0: huh? <laughs> what did you say? What did you, you say? He was a former fo- former American footballer. You mean with the helmets and the padding and the concussion and the drooling and the steroid, potentially? You mean one of those guys? mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay,
2: and I absolutely want this country to lead. Uh, I believe that is an altogether different statement and different thing entirely from what Libra is and what we were talking about today, uh, which I Thanks think has a glory, number of warrior. contradictions inherent in the project itself. Um, when
0: he speaks, he speaks like a fucking professor compared to everybody else in that room. He he sounds like he's been developing tech for the last forty-five years. He he sounds like he worked on the space program
2: colleague was here last he mentioned and the white paper suggests that the goal is to transition to a permissionless blockchain is that still the ambition because it seems like it might not be anymore
1: (laughs) Uh, congressman
2: i think that that is the
1: aspiration over time
0: let's let's talk about dreams we want to talk about aspirations over
1: time to fulfill the financial inclusion mission uh, there are going to be
2: some people who so, May not claim my time. I appreciate that. So, so it's it's a goal, but it's not necessarily. They have
0: a financial inclusion mission. No wonder the woman just over his, you know, left shoulder, our right, looks like she's about three and a half seconds away from falling into a deep, deep and irreversible coma at this point. God.
2: Necessarily written in stone. Uh, I actually, as I told him, I don't think you'll ever get there because I don't, I don't think you have any incentive to, frankly. Um, Monica, goodness, But good to see That being the case. Uh, so, in this current world, where it is controlled by the Libra Association, the claim has been made, we don't have to trust Facebook, uh, we don't have to trust anybody, similar to a claim that would be made on cryptocurrency, which I think is a valid claim. Um, but inherent in that is that we do, because it's controlled, it's controlled by a centralized organization, which is the Libra Association.
0: So these. How can
2: you make the claim that the Libra Association, Libra, will adhere to all regulations in all places,
0: Mark shifting his eyes around like he's a cartoon villain. I'm overjoyed at this point because this guy is making one of the classic political arguments that we were used to not that long ago. He's got this, you know, the head of this massive corporation, this giant corporation that wants to introduce a cryptocurrency and essentially in their mission statement, they want to become the new world currency. Like that's not conspiracy theory. That's straight out of their chops, man. And here you've got a guy, an elected official, arguing for decentralization of a banking system before it's introduced. And I'm like, this is fucking, this is the kind of shit that I thought politics was supposed to be about. This is exactly the kind of thing that got me interested in in the first place. Yes, decentralization, economic arguments. Bring it, baby. Who'd you say this guy was? Oh, he's a former professional footballer. It's fantastic, isn't it? He's got more sense than the rest of the entire room put together. And he's probably had more concussions
2: than the entire rest of the room put together.
0: And he's doing, he's doing donuts around them.
2: But have one centralized organization that is going to enforce the law that way. Sorry, Congressman, I'm not sure I... Yes. I so you have the Libra Association, correct?
0: <laughs> That was the first time that Zuckerberg actually did the trick of... I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? I'm not sure I understand. To give himself a few more seconds of thinking time. Dun, 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 dun. First time he was on the back foot.
2: The Libra Association, right? that regulates Libra, correct? You're also, and that's going to be one uniform. God, system, he's so presumably. weird, isn't he? Yes, one uniform code of regulations.
0: It's like he practiced. It's like he spent his childhood staring into a mirror, learning how not to move. Like, he thought if he stayed still long enough, he would change colour like some kind of gecko, some kind of lizard. Maybe he was picked on a lot in high school, and he thought, if I just sit on the bench perfectly still, I will become the bench. So he practised hour after hour, day after day, and then had to invent, uh, you know, an electronic, artificial way of making friends (laughs) by the time he got to college, because all he could do was sit still and stare straight ahead for 10 hours at a time. (laughs) He He wasn't much good at the talking. Wasn't much good with the girls, with the ladies.
2: You also claim that Libra will adhere to all regulations in the juris, in the countries of jurisdiction. How can you make that claim? Because the, it, surely we could have two different sets of regulations in the US versus the EU yeah. and one central organizing structure.
1: Congressman, I, I, I need to clarify the distinction between Facebook's efforts <laughs>
2: WWF
0: Trump asks, I wonder how many pillows Zuckerberg is sitting on. I'd wager he's not sitting on any any pillows, just a single champagne cork that is there permanently lodged in his anus. Never never moves, it never comes out. He doesn't go to the bathroom. you see. Any any sustenance he takes in is naturally absorbed into the sinews and fibers in his body. If he was to uh, do a poo, it would be pure white and have no smell whatsoever. And
1: in the Independent Libra Association. I am speaking for Facebook and what we're going to do. When I'm committing that uh, we're going to comply with U.S. regulations and we're not going to launch anything it's anywhere in the world looking, until we have it? those
2: regulations. And will um, you disassociate from the Libra project entirely if Libra is going on a path that goes against U.S. regulations? Congressman, I've testified that... Uh, that that we would. Thank you. Um, And then the next thing that's a big concern for a lot of folks that I talk to. Have a listen to
0: to this. He hits it out of the park here. You
2: mentioned you're not going to mix social and payment data. Right? And I think that's important to keep that that distinction. Um, I'm a trust but verify kind of a person. So what regulatory oversight are you willing to sign up for to ensure that that's the case? Because I don't necessarily just trust you to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Congressman, my understanding is that Congressman, please trust
2: me. Please trust us. We're good.
1: uh, We're the good guys. Means that we're going to have to certify that at each Uh, level of uh, the company, uh, every uh, every manager who's overseeing a team that involves uh, people's personal data Mm. is going to have to certify on a quarterly basis uh, that that they're not that, that to the best of their knowledge, their team is upholding the privacy commitments that we've made. We've made public privacy commitments around this. And we will have to certify that, that will go- We've made commitments. The Guys, they've made commitments.
0: Don't them. panic. They've made commitments. And, and
1: you're satisfied with that? <laughs> I think that that's a, a pretty robust
2: framework. Yeah. Or, I wasn't. Robust. Sure it's robust. I, was, I, was, I, I just
0: love just management that. speak.
2: Um, and so the final point I guess I would make, um, so we're painting this as sort of if we don't do it, China will do it. Uh, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody who's more of a hawk on China in this, in this committee. Um, so I agree with that. What I don't think is the right frame is if Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook don't do it, then Xi Jinping will do it. Like this isn't Mark Zuckerberg versus Xi Jinping. I think that's a totally different thing. Um, and so <laughs> he
0: just framing doesn't it that way, move. I believe is somewhat misleading. Ahead. To me, I
2: want us to innovate in the space and I want us to own the future of this space. Um, but as you rightly point out, uh, I, I believe that having a centralized organization, i.e., Facebook. Doing this uh, frankly I don't trust it and I don't believe the American people trust it Uh, and so I would encourage you uh, to work on ways to decentralize so that there is no control whatsoever with that I yield back
0: yes decentralize the future cryptocurrency so there is no control whatsoever it was like a throwback to politics in the 1980s man I was over the moon you could have cracked coconuts on my penis I was so aroused by that Well done, whoever he is, Gonzalez or something from Ohio, Ohio, former football player, didn't even drool on the microphone. What an absolute legend. All right, let's get into our main stuff here. As I said in the opening, uh, what comedians are dealing with is next level bad right now. And there's pretty much like a civil war going on in comedy, and a lot of it came to the forefront. I know... Uh, yesterday I mentioned uh, the Revenge of the Cis Guys. They've they've been on this for a long time, and I've I've wanted to do a show like this for a while, but it it you know things keep happening, things keep popping up. It 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 came into the <clears throat> the main public domain in a big way with the Shane Gillis incident. Shane Gillis is like a podcaster, stand up comedian, who got hired to SNL. By all reports, a talented guy. I've never heard him. But they say very talented guy, very funny guy. And he got fired based on something he said on a podcast like an off-the-cuff throwaway remark years ago. Somebody went through his shit, went into the backlog, into the archive, heard him say a thing and then couldn't wait to snitch. They couldn't wait to jump on the phone to the producers of SNL and get this guy whisked out of there. The big hook off stage. So many aspects to this are just an affront to everything that, you know, performing arts is and was and should be. And I'm going to give you a few different perspectives here. But we'll start off, I'll just read a couple of parts from this article, which is from The Hollywood Reporter. Comedy Civil War, how an SNL firing exposed a growing rift in stand-up. While many cheered Shane Gillis's NBC dismissal four days after he was hired, a slice of the community sneered. See <laughs> so already see the framing that we're dealing with here? Many cheered the fact that he lost his job, but a few people, a slice, as if to infer that they're on the fringe, as if to infer that they're a sneedy, snooty little minority hiding in the corner somewhere. A slice of the community sneered. What a horrifying thought to think the overwhelming majority of comedians are in favour of banning other comedians. Do you people have no self-awareness whatsoever? (laughs) Revealing an increasing divide over what's legitimate envelope pushing and what's just plain racist. When Saturday Night Live fired Shane Gillis on September 16, just four days after he was cast as one of the latest not ready for primetime players, translated into modern terms, that would be uh, never to work in primetime ever again, I suspect, because he wasn't famous enough. If you're famous enough, you can carry the drama, you can carry the outrage. And you might have to step back for a month or two or six months or a year or go on some kind of sabbatical. I think the level that you're at when the outrage happens, that that dictates whether or not you're able to come back and how long you have to be in the wilderness before you can come back. You know what I mean? So this guy hadn't made it yet. He hadn't got to the top yet. So he's probably never going to be seen again. They'll just move on to the next person who's more prepared to be woke all the time who's more prepared to sing to the hymn sheet, right? Who's less prepared to just say off-the-cuff funny things for the amusement of people like comedians used to. The news uh, was greeted with high fives in much of the comedy community. This guy losing his job. Dana Gould tweeted that Gillis should strive to, quote, be a better comic, while Silicon Valley actor Jimmy O. Yang posted that Gillis deserves to go because he's just plain racist. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Silicon, a Silicon Valley actor, not a stand-up comedian. Ah, oh, we don't need that kind. We don't need that kind of riff-raff in the comedy world. Sorry, who are we? Jimmy O. Yang. Who the fuck are you, man? <laughs> just get rid of him. But not all comedians were rejoicing. On the contrary. The Gillis controversy, which began hours after his hiring, when podcast surface of the 30-year-old Philadelphia comic calling presidential candidate Andrew Yang a "quote Jew chink," and spewing out other racist and homophobic jokes, has become a flashpoint revealing a deep and widening rift in the comedy world. This is where it gets really cringe. Like every other aspect of American life in the Trump era. <laughs> Alarm bells are ringing, ladies and gentlemen. They don't even they don't even try to hide it anymore. They don't even try to hide this this un, this unyielding urge within them to just put Trump into every single fucking article that has nothing to do with him. It is the go to excuse for everything now. To suggest that like a rift in comedy or uh, comedy being strangled and good comedians being strangled out of the industry because you know they're not woke enough or they don't know the right people or they don't they're not in with the right crowd to suggest that this kind of thing just started under Donald Trump is arguably the dumbest shit you will ever hear in your entire life you mustn't have two working brain cells to rub together it's been happening for a long time like every other aspect of American life in the Trump era, stand up is turning polarized, pitting one comic against comic in an escalating civil war over what's acceptable humor and what's unfunny hate speech. Ladies and gentlemen, here I was, here I am just a regular idiot, a regular patron who buys tickets. Here I thought, here all along I was thinking that the the audience decides. I thought the audience decided what was funny and what wasn't. Nope, not anymore. Now it's the other comedians. Who will, who will theoretically behead other comedians. They will cannibalize themselves because they're going to decide for the audience what's funny. They're going to tell you what you should laugh at and tell you what you should not laugh at. You don't get to decide anymore, you see. You're just dopey citizens. You don't know. You don't know what it's like. Quote, you millennials, this, see, <laughs> this is a Bill Burr quote, Apparently he said it on David Spade's show. They write, you millennials, you're a bunch of rats, all of you. Gillis defender Bill Burr snarled on David Spade's Comedy Central show. None of them cares. All they want to do is get people in trouble. So they, the way they present that quote, no context provided whatsoever. If you've watched Bill Burr once, I guarantee you that that was a tongue-in-cheek comment. You know what I mean? there was probably millennials listening to that who would have laughed at Bill Burr saying that. I mean, you know, you millennials out there, you're a bunch of rats, all of you. All you want to do is get people in trouble. I hate all of you. And they would have gone, ha ha, I love Bill Burr. But the way it's presented here, Bill Burr, he's a Gillis defender. He was snarling on a podcast. Full of hate and anger. Typical white man behavior. This is where it gets good. If the pro Gillis faction has a rebel base, <laughs> like it's some kind of, like it's a real war. If the pro Gillis faction has a rebel base, it would be Gas Digital. A subscription streaming network, it charges $8.50 a month. They have to put that in in brackets. I, I, I'm thinking they're, they're doing that to, to try and kind of, uh, you know, slap them to say they charge $8.50 a month for their podcast. I read that and thought I might become a fucking subscriber. That sound that seems like a pretty good price point. A subscription streaming network based in New York's East Village and catering to get this alt-right sensibilities, ladies and gentlemen. Alt-right comics, hey? Eh? In wait, did, where did you say they were? In New York's East Village. Why do I find that hard to believe? <laughs> or what others see as envelope pushing anything goers in the lane, in the vein of Lenny Bruce or Sam Kinison. So if if you're if you're not prepared to toe the woke comedy line, you'll get morons like this in the Hollywood reporter who will just instantaneously without mentioning anything to do with your personal politics. They make no argument about who you vote for or why you vote that way or what ideology you follow or any political arguments you might have had in the past. None of that gets mentioned. The sheer fact that you're not prepared to toe the woke comedy line, oh, you, now you're just an alt right podcast. Now you're just one of those skinheads. <laughs> <laughs> These people are unhinged. What you're not you're not prepared to stop doing jokes about gay people? Why you must be one of those alt right Nazis we've heard so much about. Like you think that's a joke? You think that the author is trying to be funny? They mean it. They have no idea what these guys are politically. Just the fact that they like to quote push the envelope and anything goes, that makes them alt right now. I wonder if how I wonder how many people out there either on the right or the left who just enjoy being able to decide for themselves what's funny and what's not. Who don't want to have unfunny gatekeepers decide for them what kind of comedy they should listen to and what comedy they shouldn't? I wonder if many of those people, having now discovered that they are merely part of the alt right, are like, well, you may as well sign me up for a pair of jack boots and a brown shirt. Because if that's okay, I guess I'm all right then. So can I get that podcast now? Can I get the funny comedians now? What was it? $8.50? Sign me up. What am I? Odd Nazi? I, okay, whatever. Whatever. At least we can laugh. At least we'll have a little laugh about it. (laughs) Gillis was a regular on its airways. It's where he cracked his Andrew Yang jokes, by the way. As well as another in which he referred to Judd Apatow and actor Chris Gethard as white faggot comics says Gas Digital co-founder Luis J. Gomez. It's funny because when you said one side is very tolerant and inclusive, I was like, yes, that's the side I'm on. Gomez, who co-hosts the service uh, popular Legion of Skanks podcast, uh, insists any characterization of his network as alt-right is wildly off base. We are on the side of funny, he says. We're just trying to create freely. What a crime. How awful. I think when you get off Twitter and Reddit and YouTube, you find people who aren't super sensitive about jokes. Absolutely. Imagine having to defend yourself against that kind of stupidity. Uh, Mr. Gomez, what do you say to the rumors that you are catering to alt-right sensibilities and you are essentially a neo-Nazi podcast? <laughs> See, it used to be well known that if you go after everybody, then you are treating everybody equally. That That's the most inclusive I don't want to bore you with like personal anecdotes, but just growing up. So I've said this before. I grew up in the part of Sydney, which is legitimately has the most, the highest immigrant population in the country. And I'm talking like back in the nineties, right? So, and people from all around the world, right? Not just Europeans, but like a ton of Asians, Middle Easterners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The people who, could, you should have heard, when everybody was just riffing with each other and telling jokes, it was all racist. It was all you're this, you're that. And everybody laughed and everybody copped it. And everybody gave it like equals, like friends. Everybody was welcome to engage in it. Nobody was excluded, right? Nobody was cut out of the loop. If you were part of like the gang and it might've been, I don't know, 10, you know, a core group of 10 and then maybe like a loose group of 20 people. And if you were part of that crew, if part of that gang growing up, then everybody put shit on everybody all the time. And that's how we got through the day is laughing at each other and making shitty jokes about each other, trying to make each other feel horrible and then just laughing in each other's faces when we do. Right. There is nothing that's more equalising than that kind of atmosphere. And by and large, it is the upper middle class private school kids, white as driven snow, pure as driven snow, who are the ones who complain the most about comics going too far and making racist jokes and you just can't do it. It's just not funny. Because those were the kinds of kids our kind of kids used to make jokes about too. They were the kind of kids who wouldn't make jokes back, but would cry and run to the teacher. Those were the kinds of kids who would say, you can't say that. And for some reason, somehow, maybe they did some kind of creative writing course in university or something, and some equally vapid teacher said to them, wow, you're so witty. They thought, I might give this comedy thing a go. Now they're out there and they haven't changed a fucking bit and they're still trying to tell other people what they can make jokes about and they still feel really upset and angry and hurt when people make jokes about them because they're not into equality. That's not what they're there for. They're there to pull up the drawbridge. They're there to stop creativity, to stop freedom, to stop fun. But if Gomez, uh, Gomez, who is Puerto Rican and grew up surrounded by drug abuse and gun violence, by the way, oh, the the alt-right white nationalist Gomez, ladies and gentlemen, who had a hard upbringing and uh, comes from Puerto Rico, the best, here's another thing for you too, the best comedians always have hard upbringings, always, very, 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 very rarely do you find uh, a really good comedian who had just an easy coast through life. Because their particular circumstances and their particular life experiences don't lend themselves well to being able to laugh at yourself and make light of the shitty situation that you're in. Billy Connolly used to say he gets the most laughs, the biggest laughs when he goes to the poorest areas, the poorest towns where people are barely scratching by to feed themselves. He said, he always said, those are the people that laugh the most. When you get into like the really big venues in the cities with the rich folk, they're the ones, they laugh, don't get me wrong, but they they don't live it. They don't breathe it. So they don't really get it. For them, it's like a vacation into depravity. It's a vacation into depression. It's a vacation into the underside of society. For the people who live it every single day, somebody is holding a mirror up to them and they're laughing at themselves and how shitty their life is. It's an escape from the reality. It's not a vacation to it. Gomez distances himself from the alt-right label. He hasn't distanced himself from alt-right ideas or stars. He's a thought criminal, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the ideas of the alt-right. Oh, yes. Well, he may not be alt-right himself, but he has spoken to some people who say some things which could definitely qualify in some respect, I suspect, as alt-right in some way, shape or form. Let's not let him off the hook just yet. He has <laughs> In May, he invited the movement's poster boy provocateur, Milo Yiannopoulos, on his Skanks podcast, which led to a firestorm of protests and a change of venue after members of the left-wing Antifa movement threatened to storm the Long Island Comedy Club, The Creek and the Cave, where it was to be taped. So the uh, the left-wing Antifa movement threatened to storm a comedy club, shut it down. And this guy who says he wants to include everybody because he doesn't, you know, because he has people on with very differing perspectives and doesn't hold back and just wants to create comedy where anything goes. Uh, It's his fault (laughs) that these unhinged psychopaths wanted to storm a comedy club. Like, that's the kind of shit that you would read about. During the second Gulf War, during the war in Afghanistan, remember all of those stories would come out and they'd go, the Taliban bans music. The Taliban doesn't want anybody to have fun. The Taliban doesn't like comedy. That's the kind of shit you would read about. A whole bunch of masked men stormed a comedy club in Kabul today and shut it down and beat the comedians to death with sticks because the Taliban has outlawed comedy. They said, we will not tolerate this kind of speech. This is a crime against God. You'd read about stories like that every couple of weeks. But in Afghanistan, the moral police beat the comic and they're wrong. In America, the morality police beat the comic and they're right and we support them. It's the right thing to do. It's the comedian's fault. Terrifying stuff land of the fucking free, eh? Give me a break. He says I don't pay attention to politics. Well, that's a big crime. You're supposed to pay. You're supposed to be completely infused and obsessed with politics at all times. Didn't you know that? Did you did you not get the memo? They want you thinking about politics, thinking about oppression, thinking about privilege 24 hours a day. As soon as you you need to wake up in a in a tearful morn for your own privilege. Every single day. You need to be suicidal over this shit. Gomez says of Booking Yiannopoulos, who's infamous for singing America the Beautiful to a room full of zig hiling Nazis and leading a vicious Twitter attack on SNL's Leslie Jones. A vicious Twitter attack. Twitter attack. (laughs) I just know that he's a flamboyant gay guy. He was married to a black guy. When people call the guy a Nazi, I'm like, that is the silliest thing I've ever heard. There's too much common sense going on here. (laughs) They're so dumb. They don't even realize that the alt-right fucking hates Milo Yiannopoulos. They can't stand him. <laughs> the alt they always go, the alt-right poster boy Milo Yiannopoulos. And all of the alt-right guys who you think would have would, would have had enough by now. They go, "No, stop saying that. We hate that fag." You know what I mean? We hate that guy. Fuck him. They still put it together. They still whack it in there. So now they're asking the uh, you know, the Puerto Rican comedian who they're accusing of being alt-right. Because he spoke to Milo Yiannopoulos one time, he must be an alt-right because Baila Yiannopoulos is alt-right, so that makes you an alt-right. And he's sitting there going, you're not right about any of this. You've got this all wrong. Doesn't matter. Put that to print. Should we, fact check, should we fact check this article, Johnson? No, fuck it. There's no time. We need to kill comedy before it takes off. Horrifying stuff. That article will be in the show notes, just like everything else we refer to tonight. And what got me thinking about this again over the last few days is because I saw this clip come out on Inside Edition. It's only like a 90 second clip. And it was just fucking depressing, man. Because here you have like comics of yesteryear, the guys who were in their prime in like the 80s and, you know, the early 90s. So you're like your Adam Carollas, your Tim Allen's. And they, you know, Adam Carolla is still a funny guy, but he's not edgy in any sense of the word. He's making a documentary, is comedy dying because of PC culture? And there's one scene in this little, like I said, it's only a little 90 second little, you know, bumper. There's a scene where all of these previous generation comedians are just sitting around a table talking about how hard it is and how de- it was fucking depressing, man. It was like a funeral. And I'm just thinking, look what they've done to you. They've sucked the life out of you, they've sucked all the fun out of what you do. Have a look at this.
3: I got twins, boy, girl, twins. Obviously I can't say which one I love more, but he knows who he is. (laughs) Is comedy dead? Comedian Adam Carolla warns it could happen.
2: They're trying to censor everybody for everything.
0: You have the right to remain silent.
3: In the new documentary, No Safe Spaces, Corolla teams up with other comedians and conservative talk show host Dennis Prager oh, Prager's to explore in there. how political correctness <laughs> is threatening not only edgy comedy, but also free speech. We have to be modulated, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about it, a, a
0: little alarmed about... It's Tim Allen, right? Tim Allen. Tim Allen, the guy who would take his body weight in cocaine at some, in some places and just go fucking driving 150 miles an hour down the freeway, drinking whiskey straight out of the bottle, doing stand-up, fuck this, fuck that. Couldn't care less. Living on the edge. He had the demon streak. Tim Allen's gone from that. Like, the best thing for his career probably would have been to die 20 years ago, because he wouldn't have to live through this. You know what I mean? And now he's sitting around this table, and he's like, well, I'm just so worried. You know, there's... There's all these things. They're trying to censor us, and it's just not fair. It's kind of suffocating, and it's, uh, uh. it's it's like I'm depressed seeing this. It's like, you know, you think of your favorite footballer or something, and you, you grew up watching this guy. You wanted to be – this guy was your hero, and he was at peak physical fitness every time you saw him take the field. He would just dance around the people trying to tackle him. He was an unstoppable machine, a beast on the football field. And you had posters of him and you had cards of him. And then you see him 20 years later and his gut is hanging so far over his belly that it's practically covering his knees. And he's got like all of this weird face shit going on and five chins and he burps a lot. And he can't talk too much without breathing heavily he orders a second dinner and it's yeah it just crushes your soul this is what this is this, this is the the spiritual effect of what these people are doing to these comedians guys like tim allen soul crushing things i
3: cannot say i do it anyway whatever happens in vegas does not stay in vegas <laughs> Last year Kevin Hart stepped down from hosting the Oscars after homophobic jokes resurfaced on Twitter.
0: <laughs> he should never he should never have done that. He should never have stood down. Because <clears throat> now that's 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 gonna be his legacy forever now. Who's Kevin Hart? Oh, he's the guy who couldn't do the Oscars because he said some homophobic joke on Twitter once. Oh yeah, I remember him. Nobody's gonna remember his jokes. Nobody's gonna remember his specials. Nobody's gonna remember any punchlines from Kevin Hart. Thirty years from now, he's going to be the the beer gutted, five chinned athlete ordering two dinners who can barely move without breathing heavily. And a whole bunch of, you know, people who grow up watching him and laughing at his jokes are gonna be like, oh. He didn't do it because he did some he stepped down and he went on an apology tour. Ugh. Celebrity hunting season. Man, what I say, they're gonna get everybody eventually. Like, Dave Chappelle's like, most that's recent that's comedy funny. special also came under fire for his controversial jokes. That was like, yeah, dude. Comedian Shane. G- See, because I think Chappelle is so famous that he can do it. He doesn't care. He he doesn't he doesn't need them anymore. But a guy like Shane Gillis isn't high enough on the ladder yet, so he'll never get back there ever again. He's he's fucked. He's done.
2: Gillis was fired from SNL
0: before he even started after bigoted remarks about Asian Americans from a podcast went public. Bigoted remarks. No, no, they were jokes. He was being funny. He was being sarcastic. He was being off the cuff. Don't you see the difference? Can you not understand the difference? Are you that dense? Bigoted remarks. (laughs) Fuck you. Who says, why do you get to decide? You let the audience decide. That's the way it works. Let me show you this article. Let me show you what some of these people are dealing with here. This one's got a bit of age on it, but it's still still there. It's still relevant. Stand-up comedy is not dying. Your privilege is. Now, this was written by a comedian. I tried to look her up. I couldn't find one podcast, one uh, video, one special, one transcript, nothing. But she refers... I'm not saying that she's not a stand-up comedian. I'm just saying I couldn't find anything under that name. So this will be in the show notes. You're more than welcome to try and find her. I couldn't find anything because she refers to her own comedy experience. And I'm like, well, I'm going to check her out, see if she's funny or not. Couldn't find a single fucking recording. So I don't know. Make of that what you will. She's the expert, though. If I had a – this is the article. This is a fucking cracker. If I had a nickel for every time a white male comic explained to me what real comedy is – I'd remain crushed in middle-lower class under the weight of the institutional systems of oppression that limit Hispanic females earning power to that of 62 cents to the dollar. Oh, the lower middle class. How awful. I've told jokes before. I, used to, I remember when I was 10 years old getting boosted into a dumpster to get bread for the day. I've made jokes about that. Whatever lower middle class is, I was I was a couple of rows beneath that growing up. You know what? I got some funny stories out of it. Got some funny stories. Trying to trying to bargain with a prostitute in King's Cross when I'm six years old, not understanding what the hell she does. What does she do? Uh, men pay her to have fun. Really? I like to have fun. Go up to her. How much? <laughs> oh, you're a little young. I, is there an age? I didn't know. Sorry. I didn't know. I've got some funny stories out of growing up like that. If if the if the if the funny story that you can contribute to the world is you know complaining about white men talking about what real comedy is because you feel crushed in a institutional system of oppression that limits hispanic females it's like I don't even want to fucking talk to that person. You can hate and white. I will confirm the stereotype for you by not paying attention to a single thing you say. How about that? You, 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 you win. It's a successful uh, analogy. You've figured out how the world works. Now, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off and go over there, because I don't want to have anything to do. I don't even want to be seen around you at this point. You're depressing. In other words, this is the article again, white male comics have become the self-appointed ambassadors of maintaining the sanctity of comedy. They wax poetic about how stand-up comedy today is too politically correct, too serious, and too analytical. In fact, the backlash against one of the most popular stand-up specials of all time, Nanette, 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 if you're not familiar with it, is uh, a comedy special by um, an Australian woman who uh, tells jokes about her lesbianism primarily and uh, about the patriarchy. It's very popular. Very popular. Everybody loves it. Centred on the argument that it was not technically stand-up Critics agree that Hannah Gadsby can pontificate on comedy's limitations and society's moral failings in a humorous manner at her leisure, but don't classify it as stand-up comedy, separate but equal. Hmm, sounds familiar. (laughs) Get it? Get it? Sounds familiar? I know. Blew my mind too. I revel in schadenfreude every time a white male comic shouts from the mountaintops, stand-up comedy is dying. First, I find it entertaining to point out when anyone is wrong, stand-up comedy today features more and more diverse voices that reach a wider audience thanks to social media and streaming platforms. I couldn't find anything of this chick on social media and streaming platforms. Again, I'm not saying it's not there, but maybe it's under a different name. Maybe she's got a stage name or something. Maybe this is a pen name, whatever. Couldn't find a thing. I, I, I thought if only comedy was uh, measured by how diverse the range of comedians are instead of that old, archaic, white, male way of measuring comedy, that being how funny you are. Remember the bad old days when comedians used to get judged? When comedians used to get paid based on how many people would laugh at their fucking jokes? Can you, can you believe that we used to live like that? God, how awful. I mean, it's practically slavery. Slavery. Thankfully, we're far more enlightened these days, and based on the various skin tones of the comedians standing on a stage at any given time, that determines how successful comedy is. Are you following? That's how it works now. But most importantly, I sense justice in that white male comics who have dominated the industry since its inception finally encounter a space that they cannot claim exclusively as their own. (laughs) So with that comment, I'm, I'm, now I'm racking my brain. I'm trying to think, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Name one. What is a space in society that specifically white male comics can turn people away at the door? And say, no, sorry, this place is just for the white male comics. I'm sorry, what are you? A black lorry driver? No, you can't come in. You're a female accountant? Can't come in. Sorry, no, no entry for you where is this space where the white male comics hang out? And if anybody can figure out the space where the white male comics hang out, could you DM me the address? Because it sounds like they're probably having a really fucking good time. (laughs) They're probably telling a lot of really funny jokes in there. A lot of racist jokes, a lot of sexist jokes. It's going to be awesome. I'll bring sandwiches. White male comics, the article again, need to realise that their idea of real stand up comedy does not exist. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) White male comics need to realise that their idea of real stand up comedy does not exist. All this time we've been living a lie. Who knew? I, again, I thought that comedy existed where people laugh at other people telling jokes. No, nope, never worked that way. It was an all an illusion. It was a mirage. What you thought was real stand-up was actually just institutionalized oppression. Ah, that old chestnut. We're back to that one again. And while I'm at it, there's no Santa nor American dream. Sorry to ruin your stand-up philosophy, Christmas, and your self-serving sense of patriotism. Comedy is simply a social construct. (laughs) Everything's a social construct. (laughs) I don't even, I'm not even sick of that meme anymore. Comedy, I'm sorry, what are you laughing? Are you laughing at jokes? Bigot. Comedy's a social construct, Nazi. It's not above the influences of its zeitgeist. (coughs) Pardon me. It's not above the influences of its zeitgeist, and it's always limited by the whims of its power players. Do you believe what you are fucking hearing here? Comedy is always limited by the whims of its power players? This, this is how the Politburo of the Soviet Union would describe comedy in a how-to handbook handed out to government-approved comics. Okay, you want to tell joke, you tell joke. But first you must understand that we control the power in the comedy. We will will decide what is is comedy and what is not. First of all, you will not talk about famine or Ukraine. You will not talk about Stalin. These things are not funny. (laughs) These things are very serious. You will not talk about communism, except to say that capitalism is far worse than communism. You see, comedy is a social construct. It is not above the influences of Zeitgeist, and it is always limited by the whims of its power players, namely us, the Department of Comedy. Horrifying. Again, here I was, just a regular idiot who buys tickets to comedy shows. I always thought one of the most precious things about the art of comedy, the art of making people laugh, is the fact that it gives the big middle finger to people who are in power, right? It gives a middle finger to social norms. It gives a middle finger to people who want to control what other comedians can and can't make jokes about. Not anymore. Now you're supposed to accept the new reality. And the new reality is com- comedy it only exists as a social construct and it exists thanks to the pleasure of people who decide what's funny and what's not. This is This is a dystopian nightmare. And you've got to wonder, like, like, if you're a comedian now and you're starting out and you just don't have a filter, like, not having a filter is some kind of crime now. If you're not easily offended and you don't have a filter when you're doing jokes, you're now the enemy. You're now dangerous. You're public enemy number one, man. And these people will cut you down. So imagine trying to come up in that atmosphere today. Every now and then I'll watch like a comedy set from on YouTube from like 06 and 07. I'm like, there's no way that they could tell those jokes in that club now. And I bet all of the big clubs are really shitty now. Like if you were going to comedy shows 20 years ago, you wouldn't be going to the same comedy clubs anymore. And if you did, you'd be disappointed nine times out of 10, I suspect. It's probably going to be one of those things like similar in music. When there's a really good club where really good bands go... There's, there's a kind of mathematical equation that occurs that over a certain amount of time, the club will get progressively worse as it gets progressively more high profile. Because as you get more and more bigger acts in, it changes the clientele. It changes the atmosphere of the place. So if you're in a band and you like to rock out and you like to go a little crazy and you like to get a bit wild, you need to go to the clubs, the shitty clubs that where people don't give a fuck. Much like the analogy of billy Connolly talking about the poorest areas always laugh the hardest at his jokes it's the people who struggle the most who have the most fun at a comedy show it's a similar thing that applies in music it's the hardest working people it's the people who want to get most loose who aren't who aren't concerned about the record deals and shit they're the ones who have the most fun so they're the clubs you want to go to It's probably the same kind of effect in comedy, or at least similar, where eventually it'll be like the shitty bars that once upon a time, nobody wanted to go to because no one famous would uh, do a a set there. They're going to end up being the the hot places because those will be the places where you get like a, it'll be like, Hey, come down to the, you know, that shitty bar under the fucking bowling alley down there on the corner of like fifth street. Yeah, man. Fuck. I haven't been there in years. Yeah check it out they're getting some really hot comics in there right now it's like fucking it's edgy like they don't give a fuck there was this one guy in there last week man you should have heard the shit coming out of his mouth because it's either that or you can go to one of the famous clubs and hear some you know angry feminists talk about the patriarchy again for the 10th time it's like nah. i'm kind of sick of that now it's not even really that funny No, we'll decide what's funny. That's the funny one. Go and see the funny one about feminism. You white male piece of shit. Don't try to make jokes about other races or gay people or women. That's disgusting. We have decided that that's not funny. And you will listen to what we say. Sir, yes, sir. You will laugh when you're told. Not when you feel like it. Like some kind of caveman. Um, I love this. Does the term white guy comedy offend you, the author asks. And I, I asked myself, does that offend me? I was like, no, I don't care. I don't care what you think. Sorry. <laughs> I kind of wish it did offend me. It'll make things a lot easier. It's accurate, but you're right. Why qualify comedy? And any adjective in front of the noun is a disservice to comedy as an art form. Therefore, I expect you to stop calling what women comics do, quote, female comedy, Or what black comics do, quote, black comedy. Or what any other minority group does that skews from the racist and the sexist foundations of comedy, quote, alternative comedy. And I'm like, yeah, but I've got a little problem with that. Because um, a lot of black comedians tell uh, tell jokes exclusive to the black community. I would call that black comedy. For example, black people be like. Growing up being black was like. Everybody treats blacks like. If you're black, you know what it's like, and so on and so forth. A large number of female comics do jokes that are, you know, strictly adherent to the female experience. And whilst you can dabble in it every now and then, I I get, I get fatigued by it. Like, if I'm watching a comedy set with my wife and there's three or four female comedians on on the stage like one after another she will turn to me and go all of these cunts sound the same <laughs> you know what i mean all of these cunts sound the same they all say the same jokes they all they all make the same unfunny observations it's all about their vaginas and or who they dated and in in that in that order So that's what you would call female comedy, right? Same thing with the black comedians. If if a black comedian is only telling jokes about the black community, am I supposed to pretend to laugh? It's like, I'm not a black guy from New York. What the fuck do I know about this? These are very topical references this guy is making. I don't get it. Oh, what are you, some kind of bigot? No, I'm just a white guy in a comedy club. <laughs> I came, I paid for my ticket, if that counts for anything. So eventually you get a little fatigued of the black jokes, too. It's like, well, what I guess what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? Where's the next comedy club at? Where's the next comedy show going to be? Oh, we found this guy who basically has a no-holds-barred approach to comedy, no PC whatsoever, and just puts shit on everybody. I'm like, oh, great, finally, something different. It's like, no, can't go see that. That's white male comedy. You're racist. Fuck you, Nazi. It's like, ah. Uh... Another thing ruined, hey? Just just because you can't relate to my experience, it doesn't make me not funny. No, no, it makes you not funny to me. I am the audience. I'm the guy paying for the ticket. I don't have to sit through your shitty personal experience comedy set with like four people laughing who share your personal experience. I am free to say this is shit and I don't like it. This is not funny to me. Bye. I'm allowed to do that. It's like they want to strap you down in a chair like clockwork orange and pry your eyeballs open. Pump you full of like uh, adrenaline and, you know, they'll shoot you in the kneecaps if you don't pretend to laugh or something. These people are sick. Just because I don't make you laugh doesn't mean I'm not funny. What? What fucking planet are you on? Of course it does. (laughs) If you don't make people laugh, then you're not funny. That's the way it works. I don't, I don't even blame them. I blame the people who told them they were funny because they've been lying to you. If you think you can go through your whole career and not make people laugh and call yourself a comedian, somebody has done you a tremendous disservice in your formative years. Somebody has led you astray. They might be the only person that's laughing at the comedy club going, I can't believe she's up there telling these jokes. I don't believe it I told her she was funny and then she's like I'm gonna go be a comedian and she's up there bombing and she thinks she's fucking hilarious this is brilliant maybe it was a big maybe Maybe it was a work maybe you are getting worked all along and see this is the thing too like when it comes to this stuff people will just automatically assume your disposition So I've got to look this way so I can read the comments I saw Jamie Foxx in Las Vegas four years ago and it was the most uncomfortable show I've ever seen or been a part of. See, that's disappointing to me. I I used to think that Jamie Foxx, um, I know it's a, sh- a really shitty movie, but Booty Call. And I just thought Jamie Foxx is fucking hilarious. Just his delivery and his style. In that movie specifically, he's just such a rat. I used to laugh. I had tears streaming down my face the first time I saw that shitty movie just because of Jamie Foxx. So I hear something like that and I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, but it's disappointing. It's, it's the fat athlete. It's ordering two steak dinners all over again. But when you have these, this kind of conversation, when you give these kinds of opinions and talk about, you know, what's happening in the comedy world, people just automatically assume that you must be just talking about the kind of jokes, you know, I'm only interested in jokes that make fun of blacks, women, and Jews. But that couldn't be further from the truth for me. Like, I'm pretty soft when it comes... My preferred style of comic is somebody who's, like, doesn't swear and is really well-spoken and articulate. Because I appreciate when somebody has a good command of the English language. When they can be clever with how they word things, that's what makes me laugh. I know it's mainstream and I know it's, you know, typical and stuff. But my favourite comedians are guys like Dimitri Martin. I went and saw Jerry Seinfeld live here in Sydney uh, two years ago. I had a I had a really awful flu. I hadn't been sick in years and people who knew me back then knew because I was in bed for like a month couldn't walk it was it was a fucking bad one it wasn't mad it wasn't man flu. It wasn't a guy complaining. it was like one of the ones that knocks you on your ass and takes you out of the game. I had a, I had a vo- a broken voice for like six months after it. So I dragged myself out of bed that night, just pumped myself full of painkillers and whiskey and got to Seinfeld's show in no mood to laugh. I have not laughed that hard in my life. And not one reference, not one curse word and not one reference to politics for a whole, you know, I think it was like a 75-minute set. He just fucking murdered. The whole room was on the floor. The old, old Jerry Seinfeld. There was no rehashing of old jokes like old comedians can do sometimes. It was just, it was just the, the shit. It was so funny. I I was, my ribs were aching and everybody, everybody in the room, there was probably, I don't know, it's probably like a 10,000 seater. It was, the noise was so loud. It was violent. The laughter. Unbelievable. Didn't even expect it at all. I grew up loving like the show, but I had no idea that it would be that funny to hear that guy tell jokes. And like I said, no cursing, no politics. It was fucking next level. So those are the kind of comedians that I like. But I don't see myself as having the right to go around and tell other comedians what they can and can't joke about. That's not in my makeup. That's not, that's not part of who I am. But these comedians... Because they tell a particular kind of comedy that appeals to a particular group of people that a certain kind of person finds funny. They think that theirs is the only kind that's allowed. That's fucking offensive to my senses. I feel like spitting on my keyboard, just saying it. But that's legitimately what they're after. They want to get rid of the people who do jokes that they don't like. It's fucking horrendous. Got one more article here for you. Just want to balance it up because so I'm going to read a part of this, and this will give you hope. And then when I get to the end, when I tell you who this guy is, you're going to say, "No shit, huh? No shit." Because I don't want to. I don't want to leave the impression that these people, these unhinged maniacs who want to strangle the the last remaining breath out of, you know, one of the purest art forms, I don't want to leave you with the impression that they're winning. Check this out. This is from March this year. Woke comedians are ruining the freedom their predecessors went to jail for. So just, just like juxtapose this article with the previous one. In the old days, comedians like Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce put their careers on the line and opened doors for what was acceptable to talk about on stage. Today's comedians are taking those same doors and slamming them shut. This isn't one of those heartwarming religious things about a door closing and a window opening. No, comedians seem to be sealing the entire house with audiences stuck inside. Isn't that great? The current stand-up climate features a divide between those who want to establish a set of rules in comedy... Because what's funnier than rules? Am I right? Huh? Rules are great. Rules are funny. You know when the rules are. You know when rules are the funniest in comedy when everybody follows them. <laughs> Nobody laughs at people breaking the speech rules in comedy. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh, Mister. You can't say that. And those who believe comedy should explore every light and dark creva- uh, crevasse of our thoughts, regardless of how people might react. This comic on comic violence makes me sick. There was a time when comedians actually admired other comics who did really dark jokes and would say something like, I could never do that, but you're good at it. I say that now. I say that now about other podcasters, other shows that I like, like out here and, you know, on Periscope or YouTube, I'll say to somebody, I fucking love what you do, but I could never do it. I couldn't do what you do, man. I, I don't understand the mentality of the person that wants everything to be the same here's the other thing too i want to i want you to ponder this thought what if i gave you a choice what if i gave you the choice that on one hand you will never have to feel any kind of offense or anguish or feel like you're uh being you know oppressed by society what if I could give you that what if you never had to feel offended ever again for the rest of your life? Okay? Would you really want it? Would you really want that? Cuz I see a whole bunch of people like a self-appointed clergy basically going around the entertainment industry, going around comedy who are trying to expunge it of what they would deem to be like some sacrilegious to their woke god because they don't want people to feel offended. But if you go through your whole life never feeling offended, what, what kind of surprises lay in wait for you? You would, never, you would never have that feeling of anticipation, like before a punchline, that this could be something risky. This could be something that I'm not supposed to laugh at. This could be something dangerous. You would never feel that again for the rest of your life. Why the hell would you want that? Why would you want to go to every single comedy show and know that it's going to be safe? Why are you even going in the first place? That's not what this is. It's not about being safe. The whole thrill, like the laugh, comes from the unexpected, it doesn't come from knowing the punchline. If you know the punchline has to adhere to a certain set of rules, it's not a punchline, it's a formula. There's no inspiration in that. There's no there's no life in that. It is devoid of life, it is devoid of creativity, it is devoid of a life experience. There's no flickering flame. It's just a dead, empty, soulless patch where comedy used to be, where nothing grows. It's sickening. Why would you want that? And just say you do want it. Just say you do want that life. Just say you do want that future. Fine. Have it. But don't even fucking think about giving it to me because I don't want it, right? And when you go around trying to make these rules and get people banned and try to, you know, admonish people for laughing at stuff, you're trying to force your misery onto me. And I'm not, I'm not fucking having it, mate. So you could be a miserable, bitter and twisted, you know, cringe worthy control freak comedian if you want. And you can go over there and do your shows in your clubs. I won't even come near the place because you make me sick. But if you walk over into my club where I'm sitting and start pulling that shit over here, you're fucking done. You are done. Nobody invited you here. Nobody wanted you here. Nobody asked for your wisdom. Comedy was just fine before your rules, and it'll be a lot better without them. So go have your own clubs. Comedians actually admired other comics who did really dark jokes, and would say something like, I could never do that, but you're good at it. We often loved what we couldn't do ourselves and respected a harsh joke because it usually had to be much funnier than a non-threatening joke in order to get away with a laugh. That's the art. No one's going to heckle you because of your bit about Skittles or Wolverine. <laughs> or Ovaltine, for the Seinfeld fans out there. Still in bits about Ovaltine and chocolate milk. He's a hack. Today, it's the comedians. <clears throat> Pardon me who will walk out and attack you on Twitter as means of signaling what a wonderful human being they are. I tend to react to them like Michael Corleone fighting out that Fredo betrayed the family. Attacking comedians online in a way that jeopardizes their ability to get work is totally against the made up code. Chapter 4, section 8 clearly outlines this. There are enough humorless writers who make it their business to destroy comedians who offend them. We don't need other comics doing it as well. Aside from not stealing jokes and pretending that the club owner is funny, there are no real rules to comedy. Making rules for stand-up is as unfunny as whiny articles defending comedy like this one. See? Self-deprecation. A little bit of self-deprecation that that previous article talking about how it's, you know, white male comics are ruining the world that little bit of self-deprecation and not taking yourself too seriously, even in an impassioned plea against political correctness, ruining comedy still works its way in because this guy is obviously somebody who's funny. And the person who wrote this disgusting piece of trash that I wouldn't line my birdcage with is clearly unfunny an unfunny miserable piece of shit. So he's even laughing at himself and pointing out the shittiness of his own article in the article when he's making a serious point. Would you really want to get rid of that kind of creativity and just have this fucking whining 24 hours a day? If I had a nickel for every white male comic who explained to me what real comedy is, you'd have one nickel, I suspect. You'd, you'd maybe have a cup of coffee because I don't think it's happened very often. <laughs> why why would, white, why would real comedians talk to you? Ha <laughs> ha! Making rules for stand-up is as uh, unfunny as whiny articles defending comedy like this one. Once you make rules for stand-up, it all falls apart because there's always something that upsets people and polls can't be taken before the show to find out. A joke isn't a statement of fact. It doesn't need to make people feel comfortable or reassure them demanding that a comic only joke about certain things is as absurd as forbidding painters from using the color red because it reminds people of blood. Don't worry, they've already started doing that. You're only allowed to paint certain things too now. You're only allowed to write certain books. We did the, uh, the podcast earlier in the year, if you go back in the back catalog, called The Dangerous Power of Storytelling, where the, the book had to be taken off the shelf because some, somebody got upset about it. Horrendous stuff. And it was other writers, apparently, that wanted this book banned. It's fucking unbelievable. You don't have to You don't have to worry about Adolf Hitler. You have to worry about the guy standing next to you. He's the one that's going to, um, you know, throw you in the mass grave. It's not going to be the guys in brown shirts. It's not going to be the fash with their helmets and their bulletproof vests and their batons hitting you over the back of the head. It's going to be the guy who's standing next to you in line at the comedy club. He's going to be the one that says, this guy, get him, fuck him. <sighs> It's going to be your comrades with this lot. You wouldn't rob a bank with any of these fucking people. You'd walk outside and somebody would walk past, like a little kid would walk past with a toy gun, and they go, it was him, it was him, he made me do it. I swear, I didn't do nothing. Fuck, relax. With certain times at Comedians, this is the article again, the joke is often in being the jerk who's exploring dark thoughts many of us have but won't admit It's like a professional diver leading you through shark-infested waters. Whether it's Gary Shandling's old joke about watching two ugly people kiss or Dave Chappelle's recent material on Cosby or Doug Stanhope's bit about maybe it being good when celebrities die before they get old and lose their talent. Fuck, I stole a Doug Stanhope joke and I didn't even know it. Sorry, Doug. (laughs) When I was talking about Tim Allen, I didn't know that was a thing. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. Now I'm one of the jerks. Damn it. I didn't even know. Comedy is unnecessarily held to higher standards than is every other art form. We watch television shows that use numerous types of horrific violence as entertainment. Drama is no more respectful of tragedy than comedy. Both art forms draw the same communal as well. An actor pretending to be a killer is not taking the great scourge of murder any more or less seriously than a comedian doing a bit about it. This is far too much common sense for me. I hope he mentions the patriarchy or white male comedians oppressing people soon, or I'm going to get my nose right out of joint very quickly. It all comes from a similar place, the brain, I'm told. Cancer, suicide, kids... I've lost people to them and written jokes about them, but even if I didn't have some personal connection and I don't require it of others, it wouldn't matter. The joke doesn't even have to. As they say, mean well. If you had a funny, clever thought about a sad, tragic thing, I want to hear it so I can laugh and get jealous that I didn't write it myself. See the way normal people think about jokes? You idiots who want to complain about whiny men you know who apparently dominate this space and people you want to complain about people not laughing at your shitty woke comedy you see how real people deal with it oh no the more horrible the topic if it's funny i want to hear it i want to hear the most i want to hear the heinous jokes about cancer and kids dying that's fun oh because oh, oh. <laughs> that's how normal people react to stuff The mere act of uh, establishing rules assumes that an art form is done progressing, that this Tide Pod-eating generation somehow knows better than all who came before and all who will come after. We don't, and doing so limits the experimentation in young comedians. It's just so heartwarming that groundbreakers like George Carlin and Lenny Bruce were arrested for words so today's soft comedians could talk about comedy being problematic in prison-like safe spaces. Fantastic writing. Come on, people. You're not supposed to take yourselves too seriously until the end of your career. (laughs) (laughs) Comics should be the kids in the back of the class cracking off-colour jokes, not the hall monitor sitting up front reporting them. That kid was lame. And now, whilst some people are going to jump off the ledge and say, well, obviously this guy is an alt-right Nazi, just like Louis J. Gomez, apparently, according to that first article... Because he doesn't adhere to politically correct standards of woke comedy, he must be an alt-writer, a neo-Nazi or some other kind of problematic individual. Let me show you you the blurb at the end of this article. Chasen Gordon is a writer whose work has appeared in Slate, Vice, The Globe and Mail and Paste magazine. He currently lives in Seattle. (laughs) Sounds like a big alt-writer to me. Writing for Slite and Va- uh, Slate and Vice and living in Seattle? My God. <gasps> oh. Yes, comrades. It's one of your own. Even your own team are getting sick of your shit. <laughs> it's not long. So that's why I wanted to show you that article because, for me, that's at least optimistic. There's a guy who's clearly come from the left-hand side of the ledger in his professional career at least who's saying to the woke comedians, just shut the fuck up, will you? Just stop. You're killing this thing. You're ru- everything you do is wrong. Everything you're doing to it is wrong, and you're going to kill it if you keep doing things to it. So just stop. Enough. So that's a bit of reassurance for you. Um, I want to end the show on a high note. Thank you so much for joining us. You are on The Daily Boogie. Um, I'll end the show on a high note with one of my favourite comedians but this, I have to tell you, if you don't like foul language then now is the time to get out of here although it's not over the top foul it's more descriptively grotesque and you have to listen to Gilbert Gottfried screaming cause I know what I was talking about so if you can't handle Gilbert Gottfried doing that for a few minutes then please turn your monitors off now But I I wanted to share this with you because like I said, like this'll take us out to the end. So like I said, I I appreciate good wordplay in a comedian. I like somebody who could string their words together and who uses very descriptive language, who, you know, forces imagery into the into your brain, like they're hitting you in the head with a hammer. You know what I mean? I like violent imagery being thrust into my brain, and so I'm forced to picture it by the kinds of descriptive language that they use. That kind of wordplay just gets me going. It's my favourite stuff. So I wanted to play this from... I don't, know, I don't even know how old this is. This is Gilbert Gottfried at a roast of Joan Rivers. For those who have seen this already, don't ruin it, but I, this is one of my favourite little bits because... It's just so, like I said, the the language is so descriptive and the imagery is so vivid in a way that only Gilbert Gottfried can do it. So in a celebration of, you know, I guess alt-right comedy now, uh, let's watch this tiny little white guy, this white male. He is Jewish, but let's not hold that against him. Let's watch uh, this white guy um, harass and harangue and make misogynistic jokes about an old woman, shall we? Why not?
3: Speculation tonight about Joan Rivers' vagina. How old is it? How dry is it? How many men died during its construction? <laughs> well, good people, I have had sex with Joan Rivers, and I can tell you from experience that her much maligned vagina is, in fact, a glorious thing of beauty it was early in my career i walked into the green room at catch a star who do i see the great joan rivers at this point in my life i'd already had sexual congress with dozens of joan rivers impersonators <laughs> and most what <were> total gentlemen like <laughs> mr mario Cantone. <laughs> Joan was an animal. She quickly disrobed. Her ashy, yellow, veiny skin was cold and smooth to the touch, like a dead komodo dragon. Which made my young comics custard cannon rock hard (laughs) she spread her legs and i was immediately blinded by a flurry of bats (laughs) when the bats had cleared i saw it the fabled joan rivers vagina it was magnificent a gleaming pink flower Glistening with morning dew. It filled the room with sunshine and rainbows. A unicorn looked out of it, <laughs> winking as if to beckon me inside. Take me, Joan Hiss. Fill me with your seed so I may live another century. <laughs> The top two cases of rolling rock and began thrusting her heavenly loins onto my young comic's goo bazooka <laughs> i shouted take it all my mommy <laughs> <laughs> then she exploded sending a hot rush of love slime Slotching to the floor (laughs) where it burned a hole into the sewer below. (laughs) Spent, I fell backward, tumbling into the furiously masturbating tar (laughs) Arnold, only to watch the great Joan Rivers slither away into the open drain pipe. Get that sight, because <laughs> I haven't been able to open my eyes since. <laughs> uh. Anyway, here's an old one. Brad Garrett walks into a bathroom. He sees a leprechaun taking a piss. He grabs a leprechaun and says, I've caught you. Now you have to grant me a wish. I want a hit sitcom on Fox. And the little fellow says, for that, you'll have to let me screw you in the ass. Next thing you know, he's banging away at Brad Garrett's gritty bunghole. And Brad says, I can't believe I'm letting a leprechaun fuck me in the ass. Then Mario Cantone says, I can't believe you thought I was a leprechaun. There you go.
0: (laughs) The great Gilbert Gottfried, ladies and gentlemen. She slithered away into the open drainpipe. (laughs) Fantastic. So fuck the people who want to strangle the life out of comedy. Fuck the woke comedians. Fuck them all. And like I said on yesterday's show, if you know, if you find somebody that you appreciate, and you find somebody that makes you laugh, and if you find people who aren't, um, you know, signed up to this bullshit, who aren't prepared to give up their art without a fight, if you find people like that, then support them, because otherwise, we're just going to end up with the woke shit, and that'll be the only thing that's left. And you know, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be there when that happens. So, thank you so much for joining us. That's it for me tonight. I might play some – I'll be online tomorrow. I'll be spending my time splitting between Fortnite and Rust. So if you want to play me on Fortnite, the Boogie Bumper, uh, I'll be on Rust on the Nightwave server called Gaytown. So if you play Rust, go and look for it and you can come and shoot me in the face. Um, Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to support the show, patreon.com, subscribe to the show by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player, and of course – if you want to tell me how shit I am, you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Follow our friends at RealPersonPLTSES, at ChrisMC44, at Censored underscore. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, Sunday night, uh, be good, behave, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.